Hey, Pastor Chris here from the Grove Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. We're continuing our four-week series called My Story. If you're like us, some of the decisions that you've made in your life haven't been some of your proudest moments and never became stories that you like to tell. It's important to remember that the decisions that we make today determine the story that we tell tomorrow. And that's exactly what Pastor Julie and I will be talking about during this series. So if after listening, you're interested in learning more, we encourage you to visit our website at thegrovecommunity.net. That's thegrovecommunity.net. Also, be sure to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, as we'll be posting new content for each part of the series. So check back weekly to find out your next step. Remember, the decisions that we make today determine the story that we tell tomorrow. We are confident that the following message will help you make better decisions and live with fewer regrets. So today, we're going to begin our third message in this four-part series, My Story. Everybody has a story. And so in this episode, our lead pastor, Pastor Julie Penta, will be speaking to you about the third step we need to take when we want to write the story that God wants us to tell.
We know that's going on, and we pray for them. We pray for people that are finding out and, and waiting to hear back results on tumors, and there's just a lot going on in the world. And I can't imagine what it would be like to have to live through these things and through these hardships without you and without our church community. And so I just thank you that you are always there, that you are the constant provider, that you're full of grace, that you forgive us, and that you've given us the church, the church at large, to be a part of us, to help us, support us through our week and through our days. And we ask that today as we talk about staying, even when it's hard, as we talk about staying and doing the right thing even when we want to run away, as we talk about staying and firmly planting ourselves when it would be so much easier just to bail and hide and stop, that you would give us the power and the courage to do what you have told us to do in these certain situations. In your name I pray, amen. So a couple years ago, I was sitting in my living room in my apartment, and my dog was watching the squirrel, and the squirrel was just driving them nuts. And I thought it was kind of funny, because squirrels actually toy with dogs. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but they really do. And so I'm watching outside as the squirrel is just taunting my dog who's sitting in the window. And as I'm watching this situation unfold, I see this kid in a car, in this giant white Jeep, drive through the parking lot of our apartment complex. And he's got his front bill cap on that's flat in the front, and the windows are all down, and he's just blaring heavy metal music. And so it's hard not to miss the situation. He's speeding down the parking lot, he's driving really fast, all of a sudden he steers into a parking lot, a parking space. The problem was is that he missed the parking space, and he crashed super loud into the car next to him. And I see him, and he's swearing, and blah, 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 and he reverses the car, and he drives back into his space, and he's still swearing until he's really upset and he doesn't know what to do. So he goes out, he checks the damage, and there's a white van that he has damaged severely. The bumper is all and it was really bad and very clear that he had crashed into this car. And I see him take a step back. And then he starts looking around. And he's looking if there's people around. Because he's contemplating whether he should stay or whether he should go. Whether he should leave a note and fess up to what happened, which would be the harder thing, or whether he should do the right thing and leave a note. And I watch him kind of stand there for a moment. He's looking around. And then he just does one of this, these things and he just walks off. And I'm sitting there, I'm watching the situation, and I'm hoping and hoping that maybe he was going into his apartment. He actually lives in the apartment next to me to get a pen. And I'm thinking, maybe he's going to do the right thing. Maybe he's going to leave a note. Sure enough, half an hour goes by, hour goes by. He doesn't leave a note. And the kid leaves the car right next to the, like, he, his car was damaged too, and he left it right there. He'd be like, hey, this was my car, and I hit and run, sorry. Not very bright. So I decide that I'm going to do the right thing. I become a vigilante. I leave a note. I take pictures. I call the cops. Because I thought, what if it was me? What if I was that white man, and somebody crashed into me, and I didn't know who did it, and I had to pay for all the damages on my own? It shouldn't be up to them. But this kid faced this decision, stay or go. And a lot of times in life, when we're in these similar situations, we go. We think staying is hard. Staying is difficult. 
I'm going to have to maybe handle something that I don't want to handle. And so we just go. And we face these situations all the time. For instance, have any, has anybody ever held a baby? Most people have held a baby, okay? So you're holding this baby, and it's adorable. My nephew is, is about five months old, and he is just beyond adorable. He has these huge blue eyes. And it's so fun to hold him, and he just smiles, and he laughs. But then sometimes he starts whining, fussing. And so then you're rocking him, and you're trying to do something different, you're trying to bounce him, and he's still crying. So then you switch positions. You put him on your shoulder, you pat him, he's still fussing. So then you give him a toy, and you're waving the toy in front of his face, and you're trying to get him to smile, and he's still fussing. And then all of a sudden you smell this not-so-nice smell coming from the bottom region, and you think, keep the baby who's fussing and smelly, or give it to its mom. And so I say, here, sister-in-law, take your baby. And I walk away because sometimes it's easier to go rather than stick around and change a dirty diaper and deal with a fussy baby. Sometimes you're, we might be at a party and we've had a blast and we've eaten the food and we drink the drinks and then the end of the party comes around and we know there's this moment where you can either offer to help and stay and clean up or you can just run and be like, hey, thanks for the party, it was awesome, I'm out of here. We have this, we have this situation, stay, you don't have to deal with cleaning up and helping or go, which is super easy. And then sometimes we have situations where we have to stay in our faith, stay in our morality. And maybe we're at the movie theater and we have an old college ID and we have to think, should I use this or not? Should I stay in my morals and do the right thing or should I throw my college ID that I'm not really in college anymore? Or we're doing our taxes and we have some unaccounted for income. And we don't know whether we want to account for it or not. And we have this, this moral decision Am I going to stay and do the right thing? Am I going to stay and do what God would want me to do? Or am I going to leave and go and not do the right thing? We all face these situations in life time and time again where it is so much easier to leave than it is to stay. And this morning we're continuing on with this guy Dan. Daniel, Dan the man. He was a fabulous person, and we're going to read his story of what happened to him even more. Chris has already given you some background information, but for those of you that have missed it over the past couple of weeks, Daniel was a guy who was a young teenager living in Jerusalem, which if you're looking at the screen, is on the bottom left of the curve. He was Jewish. He was Israeli. He lived in this town called Jerusalem. And people came in, they seized this town, they took over it, and they took him in exile back across the curve to the bottom right side of the curve to a town called Babylon. And he spent many years here. He lived the rest of, most of the rest of his life here. He, that's where he's living right now in the story. And he is being trained in all of the ways of the Babylonians. He is being trained to be in the king's service. And this is where we pick up the story. And he's facing a situation of what he needs to do, if he should stay or if he should go. So here's the story. There's this guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. Crazy name. So we're just going to call him King Neb from now on to make it easier, okay? So King Neb is kind of a cocky person. And he decides he's going to build this huge gold image. And he's going to put it somewhere, and he has made this decree that any time people hear music played, whether what kind of instrument it is, that they have to bow down and worship this gold statue. Now Daniel has a decision to make. What is he going to do? 
Is he going to stay and do what he knows is right? Or is he going to bow down to this statue? And here's what we see happening in Daniel 3, 8 through 12. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Neb, May the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. And whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you have set up. And here we see a situation where Daniel and his friends have looked at the options, and they have said, you know what, we're going to stay, and we're going to do the right thing. And what does it look like for us to stay? What does it look like for people to stay and to do the right thing? Well, two kind of things came to mind. One is that we stay when we do things that God tells us to do. We stay when God tells us to stay. One of the ways that he tells us what to do is by his word. We have this, this awesome book that is instructions for us about how to live our lives, the best way to live. It's our communication between God. And he says, don't serve other gods. Do not bow down to things that are not me. Worship me only. So they have a very clear thing from God telling them what to do. And they have a decision to make or not. Are they going to stay and do the right thing? Or are they going to do what's easy and worship to this gold image? The other time that God tells us what to do is when he speaks to us personally. Now sometimes when God speaks to us personally and he tells us to do something, we don't really like it. Because sometimes it's not something that we want to hear, it's not something that we want to do, and it's not easy. But as I was thinking about this message, I thought, you know what? How awesome is it that the God of the whole universe communicates directly with you and with me and each person sitting in this room? That it is an honor when God comes to us and he tells us to do something. And there's a story in the Bible of this guy named Moses. And God came to him and he told him something very specifically what to do. He comes to Moses and he says, listen, dude, there is this group of enemies coming to overtake you. Bad news. But he says, hey, listen, if you stand there and you raise your hand throughout the entire battle, I will go before you and I will overcome. You'll have victory in this battle. But this is what I'm telling you directly what to do. So stay doing it. And I just imagine the scene that Moses and all of his army captains have sat there and they've had this like meeting about how they're going to handle the battle. And then they're like, okay, great. And they go out to brace themselves for the Amalekites. And then Moses raises his hand. And I imagine the people being like, so um, do you have a question? I mean, you're the one that kind of gave us this plan. What's going on? And he's like, oh, no, this is what God told me to do. So I'm just going to hang out here. And they're thinking, you're not going to fight? You're not going to grab a sword or a gun or have armor? Are you just going to stand there with your arm raised? He's like, yep, because that's what God told me to do. So I'm going to stay like this. 
And the Bible tells us that every time that Moses lowered his hand, every time that he decided, you know what, it's not easy to stand here for hours with my arm raised, the Israelites started losing. And that every time he raised his hand again and did what God told him to do, that the Israelites started winning. So it got to the point that they had to get a rock and prop his arm up, and so he was kind of like this at the end of the battle. You imagine sitting there for hours and your arm raised, you would get tiring. But that is what God told him to do. He spoke specifically to Moses, and he said, keep your arm raised. And I don't know about you guys, but I have faced multiple situations like this over the course of my life, where God tells me something specifically to do that seems as silly as standing there with your arm raised, and everybody's going, what is that person's deal? But when God tells us to do something specifically and uniquely to us, we've got to do it. We've got to obey. And we've got to stay even when it's hard. And that is what Daniel and his friends are doing right now. So let's turn back to the story. These guys, they go and tattle to King Neb and they say, hey, these people are not bowing down to you. They're tattletales. And so here's what happens next. In Daniel 3, furious with rage, King Neb summoned Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king, and Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good, great. But if you do not worship this giant gold statue that I set up, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what, will, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? So here they're in the situation where they're trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do what God said, which is don't worship anybody else but me. And now their lives are being threatened. Literally, their life is on the line. And here's something that I've realized about staying. Staying is really easy when life is easy. Staying in a relationship is really easy when the relationship is awesome. Staying in a job is really easy when your bosses rock. But when it's hard, staying is hard. And I know that's a very basic mindset, but it, it is important because it's really easy for us to stay when life is good. But when life gets hard, we just want to flee. We want to bow out. And I have kind of a lighthearted way to show this to you. Up on the screen, there's going to be a picture of a really pretty lake and, and field setting. Okay? This was where our rehearsal dinner or rehearsal was supposed to take place. We had scouted out this perfect location that would be picturesque for our pictures. And it's a beautiful, beautiful place. I love water, love grass, love trees, so I'm thinking this is going to be awesome. When we get there, all of our extremely large wedding party, there's babies, there's supplies for the rehearsal, there's wagons, there's tables, <coughs> girls in high heels and grass, and all of a sudden, torrential downpour. It's not like a Colorado spritz, it is raining really hard, and so we all just start fleeing to the cars. So people are like running with babies and strollers and, 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 and car seats and they're trying to get the carriage and, I, and people are running in high heels and somebody's trying to get an umbrella for me and I'm thinking, this is awful. 
This is like the second most important day of my life, and my hair is ruined, my dress is ruined. And so we get in the car, and I have an umbrella, and I'm trying to get it into the car, and I can't unfold it, and I just keep getting more wet, so I just throw the umbrella out of the door and close the door. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm thinking, Try not to feel bad about the fact that I just littered, but I was thinking, I'll get, I'll get the umbrella in a bit, it'll be okay when the rain calms down. And I'm just sitting in the car and I'm fuming about the fact that this beautiful situation is ruined. This place is really easy, really beautiful to be in when it's not raining, but when the rain comes, it's no longer a fun place to be. Out in the middle of nowhere with no trees to cover you. Not so much fun anymore. And this is, this, this is the story that these guys are facing. That it is so easy to do the right thing when there's no external pressures. But when we face situations in life where our relationships aren't going well, where the job isn't going the way that we wanted, our finances aren't going the way that, that we wanted them to go, the church isn't perfect, the life group isn't perfect, we just want to bail. We want to run away. Because it's easier. Well, what did these guys do? Did they decide to bail or did they decide to stay? We pick back up in Daniel 3, 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Neb, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But, even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now here are some young guys, they're probably in their early 20s at this point, and they are telling the king of all the land that they're not going to bow down and they'd rather be thrown in the furnace, but that they believe that their god is strong enough to get them out of the situation. How many times have you been in an impossible situation and you think, there is no way I'm getting out of this. I don't have what it takes. I don't think God is big enough. I don't think he has what it takes. And I look at these guys and I see their faith and I think, I want to have that kind of faith all the time. When I'm faced with an impossible circumstance, I want to respond like this and say, you know what? This situation might be impossible, but my God is bigger. My God is stronger. And some of you might be asking, well, why should we stay? If it is easier to bail out, why don't we just bail out? Why are we supposed to stay? Here's what happened. It wasn't until these guys stayed that they understood what they were made of. That they understood that they had what it took to take a stand. And I don't know if any of you guys have watched Harry Potter. Anybody seen Harry Potter? Most people. So the story of Harry Potter is something that you can watch if you want to. We're not going to get into the whole thing. But in Harry Potter, there is this guy named Neville Longbottom. Could you imagine growing up with the name Neville Longbottom? Poor kid, okay? So we have this kid named Neville Longbottom who his parents are killed when he's young. He grows up with his grandmother, and throughout his entire life, his grandmother is just disappointed in him. And she takes every chance that she gets to say, you know what, Neville, I wish that you were more like your parents. I wish that you were more like Harry Potter. I don't think that you're going to amount to anything. You don't have what it takes. You're not strong enough. And Neville is clumsy. He's self-conscious. He's awkward. And he's timid. And so 
he goes through life thinking that he's not good enough, that he's not strong enough, and that he doesn't have what it takes. And in the very last part of this whole series, Voldemort, the evil one, is almost about to take over everything. And we see Neville decide that he has this choice. You know what? I can run away and I can hide from this war, this battle that's going to happen. I can flee. He has a situation. I can stay and do the right and hard thing, or I can bow out of here. And most of the time in his life, with everything that was told to him, he didn't think that he had what it took to stay. But here is what happens in one of the last scenes of Harry Potter. Check out the video. Well, I must say I'd hoped for better. <laughs> And who might you be, young man? Neville Longbottom. <laughs> well, Neville, I'm sure we can find a place for you in our rank. I'd like to say something. Well, Neville, I'm sure we'd all be fascinated to hear what you have to say. Doesn't matter that Harry's gone. Stand down, Neville. People die every day. Friends. Family. Yeah. We lost Harry tonight. He's still with us. And here. So spread. Remus. Tonks. All of them. They didn't die in vain. But you will. Because you're wrong. Harry's heart did beat for us. For all of us. It's not over. I just love this scene. I just love seeing this underdog, this kid that never thought that he had what it took finally decide to stand up. It's only when we decide to stay that we realize that we have the strength to do it. Because the rest of the time, he was just standing there thinking he didn't have what it took, that he didn't have the strength. But it wasn't until he decided to stay and make that stand that he realized that he had what it took. We're gonna move on and we're, and we're, we're gonna keep looking into this passage. And there's one last thing that happens that is really important to talk about. So, they stand up to King Neb, he throws him in the furnace. In this blazing hot furnace that is so hot that the guards who put them in there are instantly killed. And I'm just going to tell the story. So then King Neb is looking in, his people are looking in, and they see not three people, but four people in this fiery furnace. And King Neb is so impressed that he says, what is going on? Maybe these kids were right. Maybe their God is really going to save them. And so he has them come out. He calls them out. And they come out of this fiery furnace that was strong enough, hot enough, to kill the guards. And their hair isn't singed. Their robes aren't burnt. And not only that, but they don't even smell like smoke. I don't
don't know about you, but even when I'm sitting around a fire pit, I reek of smoke for like two or three days and my entire clothing smells like it. And that's just a fire pit. And they come out and they're saved. Here's the other thing though that I think is more important than us realizing that we have what it takes. It is in those moments that we realize that God has what it takes as well. And in the very last scene, one of the very last scenes that just happens after that, the same guy, Neville, he has a sword, yes, a wand, and he does something with it that changes the course of wizarding history. So check out this next video. you're staying in something that you would rather run from. 
I just want us to imagine the difference that it would make. Imagine if Neville hadn't made a stand. History would have been different, and he wouldn't have known what he was made of, and he wouldn't have known what the magic was made of. And that's the same way with us, is that when we stay, we get a sense of what we are made of, and we get a sense of what God is made of, and we see God show up in awesome, crazy, miraculous ways. Because he is always on our side. Because he is always there. Because he is always faithful. Thanks so much for listening to this message from our series, My Story. All series long, we'll be posting new My Story content on our website, thegrovecommunity.net, and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So be sure to keep checking back to find out your next step. Remember, the decisions that we make today determine the story that we tell tomorrow. Tomorrow.